And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it. Get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Hey, welcome. Stephen Holder here with Zach Kiefer. We're back. It's another episode of 1% Better. And so here we are, Zach. We're in that sort of no man's land, I guess, between free agency and the draft. I know there's there's no like real delineation. Like when does draft season start? I guess nowadays it starts like in January, but but you know, when do we really start the intense focus? So I guess we're there now. But um you know, we can reflect a little bit and we can look forward, but um because we are at that sort of natural you know, sort of pause, we decided to do a little bit of a mailbag podcast today. So uh, this is, you guys have actually responded pretty well to these in the past and you said you like them. So, um, we got no problem doing it and you guys ask great questions. So, um, I, I like these, um, Zach, before we jump into questions, um, I guess we should maybe just touch on one quick thing. Um, do we think, or do you think there's anything, uh, in the works potentially, can anything happen before the draft? Or do you think at this point, the Colts are, at this point, just sort of, all right, let's just see how this plays out. I mean, I, I think it could go either way. I don't think there are a ton of moves to make, but are, do you think they're done? What do you think? No, I don't think they're done. Um, I don't think they think like that, right? I think they think, like, you can always make right. your roster better. Um, I think they're done with the big moves. And, 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 you know, maybe Justin Houston's a big move, if if you think that is out there. Um, we can get on that. There's big that. in quotation marks on, on yeah. the big moves that they've and, and, made, right? Because there weren't any. <laughs> but, if you, but I get it. You know, if you caught the with the next pick episode that the Colts released last week, something that jumped out to me was Bowers in the draft room with his guys. And I'm assuming it's late January, early February. And he's talking about the next couple of months. And he says, look, we're going to double down on the draft again because that's what I believe in. And that's what he said every year since this thing started when he took over in 17. And so that's really the main avenue where they see themselves getting better in the offseason. So, yes, the free agency period has died down. It's going to be quiet. They'll still add guys here and there over the next couple months. And I think they'll add some guys in August and September, you know, during final cuts when some guys become available. And, you know, maybe there's where they add a pass rusher. Sometimes those guys will sit on the market for quite a while. But I think inside West 56th Street right now, the focus is heavily on the draft and starting with that 21st pick. Yeah, no question. Okay, so I think, you know, just wanted to kind of give people a sense of where we are on that uh, because that's that's one of the main questions we get right now. So anyway, without any further ado, Zach, let's uh, let's get started. What uh, what do we got? Anything good? This is a good one. It'll make you laugh off the jump. <laughs> From Way Butler, it says, uh, here's one. Should Ballard be in jail for what he did to the Jets on the Darnold trade? <laughs> so it's timely because the Jets shipped Darnold to Carolina yesterday for a sixth-round pick this year, a second-rounder next year, and a fourth-rounder next year. The Jets drafted him third overall a couple years ago and basically got nothing. Yeah. I mean, wow. It, it really is... 
uh, approaching the level of a felony. There's no question about that. I mean, <laughs> it, you think about it. What the Colts get like four or five starters out of it? Yes. And possibly a <laughs> Hall of Fame offensive lineman? They got half their offensive line <laughs> and some other, you know, pretty good players in some cases and in other cases, maybe, you know, role players. But man, it just goes to show you how I think really there, there's, there are so few opportunities to do something that's game changing, you know, in the NFL. And so, for example, the, the Chiefs, what they did with Patrick Mahomes changed the entire future of their franchise, right? Right. Uh, the trade that they made. That was a, that was a moment that will go down in history that the audacity they had to make that trade. And I know people reference that in talking about the Colts saying they should have done something similar. I don't think the opportunity was the same. So let's be clear. But I think this trade with the Jets was not quite on that level because the Colts aren't where the Chiefs are, right? But but certainly when you talk about rebuilding, which they were certainly doing at that time, they were coming off 4-12, and uh, that was definitely a game-changing trade for the Colts. And I think over the long term, it was already proven to be that. Now it's just, I mean, it's it's an absolute... Just route in terms of comparing oh, winners and losers yeah. on this. On to this answer one. the question, he should be in jail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's look at the quarterbacks that were available this offseason. Yeah. Let's look at the teams that made moves to get quarterbacks. Chicago, you know, they signed Andy Dalton, and he's their quarterback. The Jets shipped um, Andy Dalton to Carolina. Carolina wanted Deshaun Watson. It doesn't sound like that's going to happen. Who knows what happens with Deshaun Watson? Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> right. Good luck for our friends in Houston. But – you got. I think the Colts probably made the best move for them, knowing what's out there now and what they could have gotten. I think Wentz has the highest upside. I think with Reich, it, it works. And you've got to think, you know, if they had settled for Dalton, if they had gone for Darnold, I don't think the fans would be quite as optimistic heading into this coming season. Yeah, I, I really firmly believe, and I think yesterday really, I think, sealed it for me. I firmly believe the Colts made the best deal they could make with the opportunities they had. Uh, I think we could easily argue, well, you should have tried to trade up. Okay, well, we've already been through that, right? That was that was prohibitive. I mean, just look at Carolina. Carolina yeah. has the eighth overall pick. They, they have ammunition. Right. Yes. They have ammunition. Very, uh, They're actually very well positioned to trade up. And I got to believe they struck out. <laughs> or the compensation was just too much and they couldn't do it. Look at what San Francisco gave up. I mean, exactly. A king's ransom to get up to three. So I get it. You know, it, it's it's always tempting. There are some interesting quarterbacks in this draft. I, I get I get all that. But um, in terms of what was realistic and what actually gives them margin for error, I think Carson Wentz was the move. That doesn't mean Carson Wentz is going to be a, a Pro Bowler next year. I have no idea. This guy may be absolute trash. I have no idea. But just taking everything into account, what he's done before. Who's coaching him? What's around him? I like his chances, and I think the Colts do too. And I think the deal was very, very reasonable. I mean, what was it? A, a first? It's a first and a third round pick. the The Jets got a second and fourth, I think, and a sixth yeah. for Sam Darnold. But I mean, take peak Sam Darnold versus peak Carson Wentz, and who are you taking? Exactly. That's that's what you got to do. If you're the team, you got to expect the player to play well given you believe in your coaches and your system, and Carson right. Wentz's top end is so much higher than Darnold's, from what we've seen so far in the NFL. 
Right. Now, Darnold didn't have a fair shot in New York, but that's a whole other story. We'll see. How smooth of a transition do you expect it to be for Marcus Brady sliding up into that OC spot? Good question. I I actually am really – this is one of the things I'm, I'm kind of like low-key really intrigued about in this coming season because I think – I think Marcus Brady, I, I think he's done a good job if you really think about it. Uh, he has, now clearly Frank Reich's fingertips, uh, fingerprints, excuse me, are all over everything as it relates to the quarterback, right? Right. Because that's what he, that's what he is, what he does. I get all that. However, we kind of gloss over the quarterback's coach, who's the guy who's with these guys, you know, every waking moment. And, I think we got to give Marcus Brady some credit for what he's done the last few years. So he's coached, he coached Andrew Luck basically in what was in many ways by far his most efficient season. Okay. I don't think there's any question, not whether it's his best season. I don't know, whatever, but 2018 was the most efficient Andrew Luck has ever played period. Yeah. 2019 Jacoby Brissett. I think they got the most they could out of Jacoby. And then, you know, things sort of snowballed at the end. But under the circumstances, they got what they could out of them, right? And then you have 2020 with Phillip Rivers. Granted, Phillip Rivers could probably be the quarterback's coach. But right. but I do think, I, I mean, look, I think the two two things. Look, the, the efficiency that he played with, the, he kept the interceptions at a minimum. His decision-making was excellent. I think he really played within himself more than I've seen him do in many, many years. And I think that's what gave the Colts a chance. Uh, look, I, I got to give the quarterback's coach some credit. So to answer this, a long-winded way of answering the question, I just think that Marcus Brady, I think, has some it factor. I mean, that's what people who know him say. We'll see, right? We We need to see more. But there's evidence to suggest that this guy – deserves this job and and will really bring something to the table so and i also think that it new ideas are always good you know you've had you've had nick sirianni and frank reich which is a great combination here for you know the past three years well yeah you know, now marcus bray is going to bring his theory and and his thinking into the mix and you know that's never a bad thing so um, that's a good what are your point thoughts? and 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 Two things jump out to me about this. Marcus Brady, you, you mentioned what he's done with three different quarterbacks, three very, very different quarterbacks, right? right. And even T.Y. Hilton said that last week when he was explaining the differences between Luck and Brissett and Rivers, and now they'll move into Wentz. For Frank Reich, this was the easiest decision he made all offseason. It was Marcus Brady from the start, from the minute that Sirianni jumped to Philadelphia, it was going to be Marcus Brady. And that tells me a lot, because Frank knows the position, like you said, as well as anybody in the league. I mean, look at what quarterbacks have had their best years under Reich. I mean, that's not an accident. Um, Foles, Wentz, Luck, Brissett, Rivers played really exceptionally efficient football last year, like you said. And then secondly, Marcus Brady was getting outside looks to, to interview for OC spots, including with the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, Urban Meyer, he knows quarterbacks very well as well. So that that's indicative of what the what this league thinks of Marcus Brady. And, and you heard what Scott Milanovic said last week. I mean, the Colts' new quarterback coach said, you know, he's a guy who coached Marcus Brady when Marcus was a quarterback back in the CFL and then got him his first coaching job. And he said, this is, this is a guy that's got some brilliant tendencies, super competitive. But he used the word brilliant, and that stood out to me. Um, and Milanovic, I think, is going to be a really good hire. I mean, this is a guy who's done it as a head coach in the CFL. He's won a lot up there. Um, and I think a fresh set of eyes and a little bit different voice might be good 
for Carson Wentz, obviously starting over in Indianapolis, and then also for the backup that's that's also Jacob Eason right now. Yeah, I actually think it, it's a good uh, exclamation point to put on this question is this. Uh, Frank Reich, and, and I know this is a really hard thing to evaluate, right? But I'll just give the man his his opportunity to say his piece. Frank Reich has adamantly and repeatedly told us he loves this coaching staff. And I can tell you right now, even before we knew all the hires, while they were in the process of assembling the staff, I had conversations with Frank and he was like, you just wait. He's like, you are going to love this coaching staff. I mean, I don't really feel strongly one way or the other. I can just sort of take people uh, based on their their histories and their resumes, they are pretty impressive. I, I do think. I mean, that Kevin Hawaii last week. He oh. man, he's gonna fit like a glove in that offensive line room. Let me tell you something. I think Kevin Mawai, This is a real big projection here, and maybe I'm going too far. But I think Kevin Mawai has head coach potential. I really do. He he just has he has that understanding of I think people. He was the president of the NFLPA and I think did an incredible job in that role. So he understands how to run things. He understands what it is to be a leader. And then he understands the game clearly and how to teach it. And I just think that's the package you want. And we'll see. He's got a long way to go. But that guy has potential. I love that and guy. And if you think about – and two guys come to mind with that. Maybe three. But you know, Kevin Mawai, Hall of Fame center. Hall of Fame is different than lots of Pro Bowls to me. Like that's a different <laughs> oh, yeah. level, and that's where this this guy Quentin Nelson. That's where he wants to get, and maybe Ryan Kelly. You know, Ryan Kelly wants to be a perennial Pro Bowler too, and who to better take them to the next level than a guy that's done it? I mean, Kevin Mawai sought out Frank Reich. He just texted him, cold called him, and said, "Look, if there's an opportunity, I'd love to sit down with you." And they hit it off, and great addition. And you're right, Frank is amped for some of these coaching hires. We'll see how it plays out. But Kevin Y, man, he he was impressive the first time we talked to him. Yeah, I agree. What else we got? This is one I get a lot, and I'm anxious for your thoughts on this as well because this is a good problem to have, but it's also interesting. How do the running back carries get split up come mm. the regular season? They have a lot of options. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I, I think it's going to sort of be – TBD clearly, but uh, and a lot of it will be by feel, which is what uh, the running their new running backs coach uh, Scotty Montgomery said the other day. But at the same time, I do think it, look, I mean, what Jonathan Taylor did last late last season, I think he has to come in. I think just on paper, expecting to get the bulk of the carries, right? I mean, because how can you not? And I think yeah. he's one of those guys. Here's the problem with it's not again good problem, but. Here's the here's a factor or a variable. Doesn't Jonathan Taylor strike you as the kind of guy who over the course of a game really does get better? I know we say that about guys, but a guy of that size and and with the physicality that he plays with, obviously he possesses the speed as well, but I do it matters. think Yeah, I think he takes a toll on people. A lot of his big runs came late in games. It comes to know? that Jacksonville mind comes to comes to mind that yeah. 17 game. I, I think you're crazy if you don't give the ball to JT 15 times a game or more. I, I think I, I think At he's, least, he's yeah. the guy. Like I and I and I want to get your thoughts on this as well. I think Taylor is a guy that needs 15 to 18 carries a game. I, do. I don't think Marlon Mack is a guy that needs 15 carries a game. And I don't think Marlon is is I think Marlon's awesome. Like I I've been stumping for Marlon Mack for years. 
but I still think he can pop a couple without having a heavy load of carries. They're very different runners, and that's a very good thing for the Colts. Um, I think I think Taylor gets the bulk of carries and wears the defense down, and I think Matt can do considerable damage with four to six carries a game. I know that sounds really low, but he can make you miss, and he can pop one. He's got such he's got such great home run potential. You know, there were eighty yard runs he was making in eighteen or nineteen. You know, he was popping those those long runs. Um, Taylor wasn't there yet. Now he did some. But he's not the home run hitter that Marlon Mack was when Marlon was healthy. So I think it's got to be Taylor. I think it's got to be the focus is on Taylor. And then you sprinkle in Hines and you sprinkle in Mack using their skill sets, like Scotty Montgomery said, to sort of accentuate that. But if you don't give the ball to Taylor, man, you're, you're crazy. He's too good. Yeah, and, and I think what you said about Marlon Mack is actually something we've already seen demonstrated because go back to, what was it, 2017? He was a rookie, I believe. And he was playing behind uh, Frank Gore. And and he did basically had that sort of role where he was a change of pace guy. And he did break big plays in that situation or in that role. So I, I think he's already demonstrated that he can be successful in that role. He's he's a little bit going back to that here, I, potentially, depending on how this goes. I mean, he could find himself in a little bit of the same situation. Now, clearly... The first string running back, they've upgraded a little bit <laughs> when you're talking about 2017 Frank Gore versus... No offense, Frank Gore. Yeah, I love Frank Gore, as you know, but, I mean, come on. <laughs> so, they uh, they they have a lot harder decision to make on when to give the ball to Marlon, maybe, but but definitely he has he has played this role before, and, and I do think you're right. I think Mar- Marlon is not a guy who necessarily needs that many touches. I really do think Jonathan Taylor, uh, we say this about a lot of backs, but I think with him, it really is true. I think it's, it's carries number 16, 17, 18, where he really starts to really hurt you. And I just think that the games we've seen, I think have already demonstrated that, as you said, the Jacksonville game is a perfect example. So what a problem to have. (laughs) I mean, I, how do you not prepare for the Colts on, on a given week and, and not, obsess over how you're going to stop the run i know this is a passing league i know and they should throw the ball a lot i hope they do that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out but man i mean you're gonna have a you have to have a plan you better have a plan because marlon Mack's return changes everything for me and how i view this team and this offense we'll see what they do at wide receiver and i love paris campbell if he stays healthy but mac and hines and Taylor is a that is a damaging trio. I mean, that is a scary trio for an opposing defense. And then you think about who's going to be blocking for them up front, 78, 56, you know, Braden Smith on the edge, whoever they get at left tackle. Um, I I can guarantee you Frank Reich is excited at the thought of what he's going to do with his offense this year. Yeah, and I'll just I'll just end it by saying this before we move on. Uh, this all goes back to Carson Wentz, right? Because that's the goal is get that guy on track. And right. you know what's going to help Carson Wentz? Second and five, third and two, those kinds of situations. You know where now you you put the advantage in his hands as opposed to him having to be disadvantaged, right? You know with a a really shitty supporting cast to be completely honest about Philly last year. And then also having bad situations that he finds himself in. So you have a guy who's, who's already drowning. Okay. Cause he's playing poorly. He's already drowning. And then now the water's over your head and it's over. 
you know so exactly that's what happens you know exactly the third and two the, the you know the second and fives that's that's huge that's a really good point the Colts were in so many second and nines last year you know and they would run yeah. those up the gut before we go on I'm excited to share with you a new podcast from the athletic it's called shattered hope heartbreak and the new york knicks shattered is a documentary style podcast series on the past 20 years of the new york knicks it's hosted by hip-hop legend chuck d of public enemy so i'm all about that uh the series tells all the wild crazy and ridiculous stories from the past two decades of the new york knicks under team owner james dolan shattered reveals never before heard stories about dolan and the knicks and the nba and some of the people interviewed kind of interesting uh patrick ewing penny hardaway Jamal Crawford, Nate Robinson, Donnie Wass, Jeff Van Gundy, David Fisdale, even some non-basketball voices like Eddie Falco and Andrew Yang. So listeners will learn about what caused the end of the 90s Knicks, what is it like to be banned from the Garden, (laughs) the Knicks' failed pursuit of LeBron James in the summer of the decision, why Carmelo Anthony and Jeremy Lin couldn't coexist, unusual way David Fisdale and Porzingis began their relationship, and what Garden Insiders say it's like to work for James Dolan. Eey. New episodes of Shattered are released every Tuesday. So search for Shattered, Hope, Heartbreak, and the New York Knicks wherever you get your podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Justin Houston come back? This is a tough one because I don't have good intel on it. Um, I, I'm, I'm in favor of it. I think that... 
I think he's still a better player than we give him credit for. You know, we look around the league at these big name pass rushers that came off the board, and and some of those guys are really good, right? I, I get that, um, but I think what do you have? Eight sacks last year, but it's not the sack numbers that I I really get hung up on. It's the overall, and I think overall he was a pretty effective player. Look, I mean, he I thought against the run in particular, he was really good and yeah. and benefited a lot. Playing with DeForest Buckner. He really played the run well, made some big stops, tackles for losses, etc. The pass rush was there, was definitely uh, sporadic, but uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I think you, it is what it is, right? I mean, you're not going to get a, you're not going to get like some lethal pass rusher in Justin Houston at this point. But for what they have, they have a lot of, you know, they have a lot of, I think, uh, serviceable edge players. And or they have some serviceable edge players, so I think he's a, he's another one that's like serviceable plus. So that's good, yeah. and I think it's going to have to be a by committee approach at this point. It has to be, and I would like I would rather him be part of my committee than not. So that's my answer. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think it's eighteen sacks over two seasons. You know, it was yeah. a great signing, uh, added a lot, it fit in perfectly. I have one thought in the back of my head that keeps coming to mind. It's you know, talking to Ballard back in February and early March before free agency, it's, you know, we want to get younger in a, in a couple spots. Yeah. Now, I don't think the Colts are better at pass rush than they were last year when they had Justin Houston. I don't think that at all. But, um, you know, he can still play. They've said that. They're on the record saying that. But I'm wondering if they want to get the Justin Houston snaps and they want to give him to Toure. They want to see what Toure can do. Now, Toure hasn't stepped into that role quite yet. We've seen some flashes. He's got a lot of edge potential. There's no doubt about that. Hasn't stayed healthy. Um, but if you bring back Justin Houston and that, that room gets a little bit more crowded, you know that's less of a chance for Toure. That means maybe Justin Houston's in on a third and six as opposed to Toure. You know, is Taekwon Lewis an every down player? We don't know yet. You know, he'd make a, he made a big step last year. But um, I, I, is, the, is the defensive end by committee, is that going to get it done next year? You know, that's the other concern you have. And um, maybe Justin Houston is a guy that waits. You know, he's a guy that takes tremendous care of his body. He could do his own thing for the next couple of months and then be a very enticing street free agent in late July, August, maybe even week one. You know, you know, Freeney did that for years and made a killing. And he would just go in and get six sacks a season in, in limited duty. So, right. you know, Justin Houston knows what he's doing. Um, I just wonder if the Colts are trying to get a little bit younger there. And obviously, it, it's a huge focus for the draft as well. Yeah, so... Two last quick thoughts. Uh, if no matter how long Justin Houston decides to wait this out, there will be a job for Justin Houston if he wants one. I think. Right. So you know how much it how much it pays I, that I can't speak to, but I mean you're not gonna you know you're not gonna pay the guy two million bucks, right? He's Justin Houston. So you know the the money at this point is probably gonna be what it's gonna be. So I don't think that's going to change much because no one's going out and signing a you know, a $15 million player at this point. So teams have what they have, right? So that money's going to be there. That's not going to change much. And then the other thing is for the Colts, you talked about getting younger. I still think we'll see. Uh, they may, tra- they may trade down, but if they keep the, the first round pick, they may have some decent pass rush options there. And then they'll have to make a choice, you know, about the position, but they will have potentially some, intriguing pass rush options and if they do i I think that i've that may be one of the reasons they haven't pulled the trigger yet you know so we'll see we'll see 
We know, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into the draft in a little bit more detail in the next couple of weeks. We know that Ballard always says you don't draft for need, you draft for you know the player, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, you know, you're not drafting a quarterback in round one. We know that. I think I think there's only like four or five positions they could realistically take at the first yeah. round. I mean, it starts with left tackle, offensive tackle, defensive end. I could always see corner because you always need those. Um, you know, may I, I just it's hard for me to see somewhere else. Maybe wide receiver if they love a guy. Maybe safety or linebacker, but I don't see it. Um, anyway, on the same topic of defensive end, this is a really good question. What the heck is the story with Ben Banigou? So we're going into year three with him, and yeah. that's a great question because I don't think we have an answer. Uh, so I have like some thoughts that don't really answer the question maybe, but I can give you some thoughts about him. And I think, remember, what is, what is our earliest, what is the earliest recollection that I have uh, in talking to the Colts about Ben Banigou, do you remember? It was, well, we think he's a really versatile player. You know, he can play off the ball. He can play on the line of scrimmage. And we think that he can be a chess piece. And I'll, Remember all that? And, yep. and we There and was we talk of training. linebacker. Yeah. Yep. We went into training camp thinking, well, he might play strong side linebacker. We don't know. And, of course, they said, no, you know what? Iberflus made the decision that we're going to make him a defensive end initially, and then we'll see. Well, they did that, and I think that was smart, right? Because playing off the ball, it was probably going to be a much different experience. For I don't him. think so he's that, is he fast enough to do that. But, like, right? I don't know. That's, that's, speed, that's the yeah. problem. Is he a good enough athlete? So all those questions. So it made more sense, right, to play him on the line of scrimmage. The problem is, I just think two things. Number one, athletically, I'm not that impressed. Okay, I'm just not. And and then the other thing is. You know, when you maybe aren't an elite athlete, you have to have a real arsenal of pass rush moves. And, you know, I think, I think Kamoko Ture has figured that out, like working with Robert Mathis. And I give Robert some credit on this. You know, Robert was, was the master of working with his hands and he's imparting that on some of these younger guys. You know, he's worked with, with Taekwon. He's worked with Kamoko. And, and I think, you're seeing those guys start to diversify. I don't know what Ben Banigou is doing this offseason. I hope it has, I hope it includes, excuse me, uh, you know, some of the the handwork that I think and, and pass rush moves that I think really could could give him a chance. But I, I, here's the problem. I mean, how much flash have you seen? Tell me that. I saw flash on the first snap of his NFL career. He sacked Philip Rivers in that game in LA. <laughs> That's right. I don't think I've seen much since. I know. I don't like. I didn't like the pick then because when you pick a guy that can play multiple positions, that means he doesn't stand out enough at one position. I know that's a simple way of talking about it, but this is a weird one. And, and, and like we've had this happen before, where we've had a high draft pick just kind of linger on the roster without playing. Right? It was Quincy Wilson before, mm-hmm. and now this year Ben Banigou was like a healthy scratch like eight times or more last year, and it didn't make a lot of sense, but. You know, I don't have any insight in terms of, like, bad attitude or anything like that. He just can't get on the field. And maybe it was a little bit of Taekwon Lewis before that because Taekwon wasn't playing, but he was also hurt. No injury here. He just can't find his way in the rotation. And I know it's a deep defensive line group. It's very deep, right? It's tough to get in there, tough to get those snaps. This is a huge year for Bandigo. And if he doesn't star in camp, if he doesn't step up, he's going to get cut. And this is why they're in the same position at pass rush that they've been in the last couple years. You miss on Terrell Basham in the draft. You know, you miss on Ben Banigou. Um, and then you got to keep looking for pass rushers. And I know it's hard to find those guys, but I just have no idea what his first two seasons in the league tell us other than he might not be here this year. 
You know, it's, it's it really has been. I, I wrote about this recently in the context of why the Colts were seen as as needing to sign one of those big pass rushers. And the context is they did not do that, obviously. But the context is that I think this has been Chris Ballard's blind spot in the draft. It has been the edge players. I mean, the, the results are mixed at best, at absolute best. Okay, yeah. and, and probably well, that's, to that's be completely nice. honest. Yeah, and and to being completely honest, just bad. Uh, I think Ture is is really a product of injuries. So I I like him. I think he has potential to at least be impactful, and I think he will be. I think I still think he will be an impactful player, uh, but that's a projection. Taekwon is a good player with who is wildly inconsistent, <laughs> and and also is. They can't figure out if he's an interior player or an edge player, right? So that, that adds to the to the frustration there. And then you have Ben Banigou. You talked about uh, uh, their – who was it? No, Terrell Basham, right, their 2017 pick. I mean, it's really been, I think, the albatross for, for Chris Ballard. He has done a good job in free agency with their edge players. Yeah, Houston. You know, but but certainly, I mean, I mean even – Danico Autry, John Simon, you know, for the time that he was here was really good. It's just the scheme change was, you know, sort of victimized him. But, man, the, the draft picks at uh, defensive end, it just it hasn't been good. It's really indefensible. Yeah. They're premium picks. I mean, think about it. Basham was the third rounder. Bandicu was a second rounder. Second yeah. round. Like, that should be a starter. A starter yeah. at the minimum. And and you've got nothing for Banigou in two seasons besides that one sack of Philip Rivers on the first play of his NFL career, which is kind of hilarious when you think about it. Right. Uh, this is from our friend Andrew Thomason, a friend of the show. Um, Given all the need at these positions, which option do you think the Colts go with in round one with their 21st pick? Left tackle, edge rusher, or corner? Hmm. Well, you know, it, it depends on how the board goes, obviously, but, um, you know, we can't. We can't uh, predict who's going to go before them, but so I, I did play around with <laughs> some of these mock draft simulators, which are kind of fun, but I don't know how realistic they are. So I guess it depends on you know what. No, no program is 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 better than the information you put into it, right? So who the hell knows? But uh, or something like that. I, I forget what the saying goes. But my point is, what I would say is I, what I found was, and I think I used mostly the one on. Pro Football Focus, which is a good one. And what I found in many cases was I was surprised at the options at defensive end available at uh, pick 21. Uh, I kept getting really good edge options. The Miami guys, uh, Penn State kid. I mean, there there were really good options there. And I don't know. I just think here's the thing. That's just really tempting. You know, I'm working on a story today, actually. Um, and it's it's very interesting. I think with it, it, what you can get in the first round, and and like, and what I find is that offensive tackle. I'll flush this out more in the story. But what, what I find is that offensive tackle, what you're, what you tend to get, is a very solid and sturdy player who's going to play a long time. At defensive end, it's a little more hit and miss, but the guys who pop really pop. <laughs> and so I, it doesn't mean anything, but it's just, it's just interesting. I think to look back at history, I'm going back like 20 years to look at this and it's very interesting to see. I think it's more of a gamble at defensive end, but there's, I think there are more big hits there uh, than 
at offensive tackle. At offensive tackle, you get a guy, yeah, he's a good player, he can start, and at least you know you plug him and play him, and that's fine. But is he going to be generational? Probably not. You know, so I don't know. It's right. kind of interesting. So, so we'll see. Um, I didn't answer the question. I guess my I guess my point <laughs> is, <laughs> I guess my point is, it depends on, it depends on whether you want the sure thing, which I think offensive tackles in the first round tend to be. Yeah. Or whether you want the guy with the big upside. And I think those pass rushers, I think, have the upside to be like stars. And so that's that's a very that's very much a personal choice and it depends on, you know, where your team is and 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 you know how you see that in terms of your philosophies. It'll be interesting. I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. I, I've been so focused on offensive line that you make a good point because there are a lot of defensive edge rushers that are going to be there in that high teens, late, early 20s round, you know, of the first round that could could be an option. And the one thing we have to mention about that is edge rushers that are elite, the ones you're talking about, they do not hit the open market. They don't become available because they are so valuable. And that's why the Colts... You know, a lot of reasons why they didn't go out and spend a lot of money on B players this this spring because they didn't think they were that good. They didn't think they were worth all the money. And you got to get these guys in the draft. This is the only way the Colts are going to do this. They're going to have to do this in the draft. So if there's a guy that they really like, edge rush, done. I mean, you could find a tackle in, in round two if you have to. Um, they've been missing on these guys. Like you said, Banigou and Basham. I mean, we'll see what happens with, with Taekwon and Kamoko, but... You know, that's the way to do it, like you said, is, is hit on one of those guys in the draft and then pay them a second contract because they just, I mean, they're, they're not going to like their options in free agency every year. I'm just predicting it. They're just, it's just not how this team does business. Um, we'll see what happens. But, you know, on the flip side, I've been focusing on left tackle. I've had a lot of conversations recently with Christian Derrissaw, who is a guy who's been mocked to the Colts a million times, left tackle out of Virginia Tech. Really, really great kid, really talkative. Um, has everything in line. Like he's gonna fit in wherever he goes. You know, he could be an option. I know the Colts like him. Um, that could be something they do at, at 21 as well. I've been saying left tackle since January. So in light of being called a flip flopper, I'm gonna stick with left tackle. That's my biggest need. I think that's where they go. I think you can find some standout defensive ends in round two or three. Like you said, it's a little bit more of a gamble in round one as well. Um. But to be honest, I think it's those those two needs are so far above everything else. Um, I'd be surprised if they didn't take one of those spots. The the good news is, and you know this this is my way of having it both ways. <laughs> the good news is, I think they're going to be fine because, assuming they don't trade down, I think they're going to be fine because you're either going to have a run on off a run on those offensive tackles, or you're going to have a run. These potentially, you could potentially have a run on offensive tackles, in which case, okay, well, yep, here's we'll take the defensive end, um, or you may have a run on the defensive ends and say, okay, well, here are the offensive tackles. Which one do we want? Yeah, I, I think that is a very realistic possibility. Both of those are realistic scenarios, and in which case, the Colts would probably take either because you know some of those guys are going to be high on their board, and they'll they'll have their choice, and those are both premium positions. And both positions of need. So this meshes perfectly with what they need. Uh, it meshes perfectly with this this draft and the strengths of this draft. So I think they're going to be fine. Uh, the scenarios really work in their favor, I think. Good one here from Justin. Um, Ballard always likes to surprise us in the draft, right? He always takes <laughs> someone that you didn't see coming. Um, we've come to expect that. 
is Rondale Moore out of Purdue maybe that guy? Um, very dynamic, explosive wide receiver. A little bit of a skill set like Paris Campbell's, but Paris has been hurt. Um, would that stun you? So he's not a he's not a Chris Ballard guy in terms of the measurables. Not the speed, right. not the speed, right? The, obviously, the speed is off the charts. But I'm talking about in terms of stature, right? He he's not a Chris Ballard guy. Chris Ballard is really big on you know height, weight, you know length, things of that nature, right? It's we tell this story all the time about Kenny Moore. He was like, "No, nah, get him out of here. That guy's too small." Oh, he didn't want him. He didn't <laughs> you know want him. I mean? He said he was Stop. like, "It was not even going to watch the film." He's like, "Nope, I don't want no five eight corner. Get out of here." Yeah, and, do not uh, give Chris credit for that one. And if no. he's, you know, he will he will not argue with you. That was Kevin Rogers and that was Ed Dodds. Yeah, so those guys are the MVPs on that one. Uh but yeah, I, I think so so it would it would require him to go against his his philosophies. And he's big on that. You know he's big on philosophies, okay? It's the reason we gotta, you know, give the explanation every spring about <laughs> right. aren't they spending money? Have you met Chris Ballard? <laughs> okay. So so I, I just think for those for that reason, I probably don't see it uh, because I think he's I think he's going to go with history, which is and the the reason they have these parameters. Why do they have them? It's because history tells us they keep those measurables and and all this stuff at the combine for a reason because history can tell us which guys panned out and which didn't, and it tends to not be the small guys. Okay, that's just true. Right. But damn it, I would. I would be all over that. Okay, if it were me, I'm just I saying. know, like I'm not thinking with my head here, but <laughs> that kid is fun, man. That kid is fun. So maybe he's not a Chris Ballard guy, but maybe he's a Frank Reich guy. Nah, that's, and that changes things because Frank nah, has Hines. a huge say in who they draft on offense. He was very high on Paris Campbell. He basically told them to go get Naheem Hines in the fourth round and eighteen. I mean, Frank loves gadget type receiver hybrid. You know, I mean, you move more all over the field, whatever. He can do with so many different things. I'm not ruling it out because of that. And I know there's the Purdue angle, but um, I, I think it would have to take a push from Frank Reich. But I think it's completely possible. And you see the upside, and you see really where the game is going. Like, don't you want to go get some explosive talent with crazy speed for your new quarterback, Carson Wentz? I do. I want them to do that because I think that's how they're going to help Carson Wentz be successful. Um, and, and it's kind of like the difficult dilemma. Like, obviously they love Paris Campbell and I think the injuries are pretty fluke. I mean, especially this one, this year, that second game of the season, um, he hits his knee and he's done for the year, but you have to prepare for situations where these guys aren't going to be healthy. The only receiver that's been really healthy the last couple of years has been Zach Pascal. TY has been in and out mostly in, but, um, that's just the life of it. And that's why you've had to sign guys off the street, Marcus Johnson, um, gosh, Dontrell Inman was terrific in 18, but you can't depend on that. So, um, I'm, I'm totally in if they draft a receiver in rounds two or three this year. And here's the thing on Rondale Moore. I think he's one of those players that there's no real consensus on in terms of where he goes, where he gets drafted. Because for, so for example, I'm looking at Daniel Jeremiah's latest mock draft, uh, posted today, in fact, uh, from the NFL network. And I think Daniel is really plugged in. And I really respect his information. Yes. yes. He does not have Rondale in the first round, which is interesting. So what do we know about Chris Ballard? He is team trade down. Okay. So what if you traded back to the early second round, just 
hypothetically, right? And and suddenly he's there. You know, I, I don't know. There there are all kinds of scenarios. Uh, if he if he starts sliding, I think then you know he could end up higher on your board when uh, when the Colts pick, whenever that is, right? So you know, all kinds of scenarios there. But I I do think that. With Rondell Moore, I've said this before, I think he is a guy who needs to end up on the right team and in the right offense, I think, for it to work. And and the Colts would be one of those teams. So I'll yeah, say that. I agree with that. I agree with that. I would not hate the pick at all. It, no. It'd be fun. Um, this is a good one from Max. And I thought about this a little bit in my head the last couple of weeks. What is the floor for Carson Wentz to get to in his second season? Like, where does he need to get to, you know, to really – keep the job for the next three, four, five years, foreseeable future. Because I think it's going to have – I think there's going to be some bumps this year. New team. It is a new system. I know he's worked with Frank before, but he's going to have to learn the new verbs and – excuse me, the new verbiage and all that. Um, I think he could really take off in year two. That's just my thought. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I mean, look, no less no less than Philip Rivers, I think, had a slow start. In the Colts' offense, right, and Phillip, so like you couldn't have asked for a better quarterback to come in without an offseason, right? I mean, right, he was like a coach. That was literally the best case scenario for what we had last season with COVID and no offseason. And he's still, I mean, he stunk it up at times. Yeah, in, in October and September, I think those first four or five games, it was you know there were some moments where it was kind of like, eh, but you know it's it's time on task. I think is a big part of this, and so. So it's a, it's a fair question. I think I don't disagree with you. I think that you should expect some ups and downs in year one. Uh, I think that there is a transition period. We'll see. Um, but I think that's why Frank Reich and Marcus Brady will be smart or would be smart to, I don't want to say protect him, but at the same time, not put too much on him. You know, uh, let... Let, let others share the load. And I think that's where we go back to the running game topic. You know, it doesn't mean they're going to run it 35 times a game. I'm just saying, I think that using the running game strategically to help Carson Wentz is, is really going to be key and the way they go about that and, and whether it's successful. That's going to be key. I think that's the key for this season is don't ask too much of him. Yes. You know, and so I think that's, that's, that's the way to go about this. We need to write that story because that was the key for me from the minute they traded. Okay, you got Carson Wentz. Now, where is he at in his career? He's probably not as confident as he once was. He's coming off the worst year he's ever played. What do you need to do to get him back on track? You need to make things easier for him. Now, the NFL is never going to be easy, right? But it's better when you got Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor in the backfield and Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly up front. And that's why they needed to bring back T.Y. Hilton. You can already tell there's a rapport there with him and Carson Wentz. Um, make life easier for the quarterback. It's so, you know, it's something that Ballard said a couple of years ago that really stood out to me. And he wasn't talking about quarterbacks specifically, but players you draft. And it's like, well, you don't just draft the player. You draft him and then you have a plan for how it's going to play out. Because so many players go to the wrong place. You know what I mean? They go to the wrong place. Yeah. There's no plan. And and they don't have that system, that environment that they need. And every player is different, but a lot of guys can thrive with the right system in place. And I think the Colts are going to probably build around Wentz to make him be the better player that he can be, right? Like to actually have weapons around him, to make his life easier, to have the reads that he likes, the throws that he likes, the 
um, the scheme that he likes. Like all that makes him more comfortable. And Reich talks about this a lot. Um, and you saw that at the end of the 18 season, I mean, Luck wasn't taking over games by any means. He was so comfortable back there. And it was like we'd never seen this before because the run game was going, the line was going. Um, and you saw a little bit different offense last year with Phillip Rivers as well. But they're good at tailoring their offense to the strengths of their quarterback, but also taking so much off their shoulders to where they don't have to be, you know, the MVP, right? I mean, you saw mm -hmm. in the Super Bowl, if you can't protect Patrick Mahomes, even the greatest player in the world can't get anything done. If you make it easier on him, um, I think Wentz has the best chance to succeed. So that's something we hit on, but that's why I think adding some of these pieces was so huge in the offseason. Yeah, no question about it. Um, yeah, I, I I really think that to go back to the question and try to you know put a period on this, I, I think that I don't think the bar is incredibly high. Uh, for this to, to continue into year two. I think that as long as there's progress and it's it's very clear that there's progress, right? I mean, and it, ha it can't just be like, you know, a little better than last year. He's got to be a lot better. But I don't think that will be difficult to achieve in, in this setting, you know? So yeah. I think he can be a lot better than, than last season, but still not be, you know, sort of a Pro Bowl level quarterback. I don't think that's what we're talking about. I think just show really, uh, show an ability to lead the offense, and minimize the mistakes, and I think they will have a productive offense if he does those things. So. And I think, like, you can do anything you want with stats, right? But I think Rivers was, like, 21 touchdowns and, like, nine picks last yeah. year, maybe 10. Yeah. Um, and, and I think by any objective measure, Rivers was a successful quarterback for the Colts last year. It wouldn't surprise me in the least if Wentz surpassed those stats in both ways, right? 24 touchdowns and maybe eight interceptions. Mm -hmm. If he plays pretty well, I think the line and the receivers. He has in most seasons, to be honest. Exactly, know? even going back to 19. So I think the baseline is 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 pretty good quarterback play. Maybe you get better in year two, um, but I, I think that's where we're headed. We'll see. Um, just two more, and then we'll get out of here. Um, Marvell Tell, what do you expect from him this year? I like the uh, I like the the potential. Um, I mean, he he is one of those guys who. You know, when you look at him, you're like, all right, I know I want him on my team. <laughs> I mean, so I would say for sure uh, they they have a potential guy who's in the mix there. I, I think I like the the potential for the depth at corner. Uh, I think Marvell Tell and Isaiah Rogers are two guys I want to see more of. You know, I want to see them in camp. Yeah, I want to see them against Wentz and Ty and Campbell, and and I think that's going to be a good. A good sneaky battle, right? Because yeah. I'm I'm not penciling Rocky Sin in as a week one starter. I'm not doing it right now. Yeah. Well, here's my take on Rock. I think I think the day I think the first day of training camp, I think he lines up with the starters and then we'll see. <laughs> That's where it is. You know? So he he's going to have to retain the job and, and I don't think anything should be given because that's not the way it works. So um yeah, I, I it's Marvel Tell. Let's go. Bring it, you know, bring it. And and we'll I mean, let the chips fall where they may. That's the fun part, and, and you know Xavier Rose is there, and you love that. Mm -hmm. But I remember going back to the 2018 training camp. Like after two weeks, I was like, 23 is the best corner they have, and it was Kenny Moore. No one was mm -hmm. really talking about him, and and that's sort of the fun part is to see guys develop. And Rogers flashed late last year. Tell has a lot of physical skills. We've seen him play good football for them before. He's coming off the year he set out. So um, those two, and then Rock. That's going to be interesting for that battle for that second. Outside corner spot. Um, okay, last one. It's a little bit off topic, but uh, this is from Jake. What is your least 
and most favorite part of the job? Hmm. Good one. Um, so <laughs> this, uh, I would say the, the favorite part of the job, actually, to be honest, I still like game day. Games I, are great. Yeah. I wake up on, I told this to a, a class yesterday I was talking to, a college class. I, I actually still wake up on Sunday like, all right, let's go. Let's roll. You know, on Sunday mornings, I'm, I'm ready to go. And I, I just think it's, you work all week and it's like you go through the humdrums and it's like, and then the reward is kind of like, yeah, you get to watch football, you know? So I love that. Uh, I love, you know, the, I love the packed house at the stadium. You know, so last year was a little weird, but I yeah. love, I love when the stadium is lively and you're, you're, you're like a part of it. You know what I mean? Like you, you document these guys all week and you talk about this game. And then on Sunday you get to see, you know, everything that you talked about and, and questioned the coach about and everything, you get to see the result of all of that. So I, I just love that part of it. Uh, the worst part, I don't know. Um, <laughs> there's probably a lot of parts we hate, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> the good outweighs the bad, to be clear. Right. Um, the, the part I hate probably is is, is when uh, dinner gets interrupted, <laughs> which always happens. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yep. yep. So news travels fast in these days, and you will inevitably – if you do this long enough, you will definitely have to leave dinner with your wife uh, and go outside and, and make a phone call <laughs> because that's what happens. You know, uh, it's all good. That's just it is what it is. Yeah, my wife's learned, you know, if, if I tell her, like, something just happened, I got to go. She's just learned, like, that's just how it is. That's they get the job. It. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would say for my favorite part, and this probably hasn't changed, it's uh, – is the story behind the story, right? Yes. Like the coolest thing for me is the locker room. There's 53, 63 guys in there. They all have different stories. They all come from somewhere different. One of the coolest things about football is a guy like Andrew Luck, who's this privileged son of an NFL quarterback, can become best friends with a guy from South Florida named T.Y. Hilton. I love it. They objectively have nothing in common, but they became really close because football brought them together. And they have interesting stories, and, and I mean, we've both written about some really cool, neat guys over the years. You know, Darius Leonard telling me that he can't sleep on one side of his body because it makes him remind him of his, his brother who was killed and how he overcame that. I mean, the human element to these guys has always fascinated me, um, and luckily the Colts have a lot of good dudes in the locker room that um, that make the job really fun. And it's, it, like you said, game days are awesome. You love covering events where you don't know what's going to happen, right? Exactly. Like the unexpected. Um, sometimes the unexpected is wild, and the quarterback retires after a preseason game. Uh, but sometimes they make a 20-point comeback in the fourth quarter, and it's really fun to learn about it as well. So um, the good outweighs the bads, but uh, waiting for phone calls is not a fun uh, <laughs> part of the job. And waiting for interviews and all that. Like the amount of time we have spent waiting over the years in locker rooms and for phone calls would just defy the imagination. And rule of thumb is when you are waiting for an interview or waiting for someone to call you back who you really need. And sometimes it's like, man, you get one shot. If it's someone who's like very important and tough to right. get to, you know, you're going to get one shot. And so the rule of thumb is if you walk out of the house and go to Starbucks, they're going to call. <laughs> it's like you step right. away from the computer. They will call. That's just how it works. So so instead you just sit there and be a hostage <laughs> so I've, I've i've had to like pull off on the side of the highway and oh. like pull up my computer i mean yeah. everybody's like name the most random place you've done an interview like the the places would stun you yeah <laughs> yeah i remember interviewing pat Riley one time uh in the parking lot of my kid's daycare you know what i mean and it's like 
And, you know, she's in the back seat, or I you know, it would have been my son, I guess. And he, he's in the back seat, and I'm got to take him in, and he's like, you know, that kind of thing. You do that all the time. It happens all the time. Um, it's not a big deal. Trust me, everybody has, everybody's yeah. job has, you know, shit they hate. But, like, that's just, it right. is what it is. Like, I, I am not complaining. I would not change one thing uh, other than maybe winning Powerball. But other than that, I'm good. So Yeah, same here. I was on a walk with my daughter last spring and got a call from a restricted number. One thing I've learned you know is it. <laughs> always answer the restricted number. And and I answer, Zach, is this Zach Kiefer? This is Peyton. And, and he didn't need to say his last name. And uh, I had to run home as fast as I could. We were talking about that crazy Colts-Bucks playoff ga- or, uh, comeback game. But uh, when Peyton calls you, answer the phone. That's basically right. rule number one on the Colts beat. So right. um, good questions today. That was fun. And uh It'll be a little bit quiet for a couple of weeks, I think, and then yeah. it'll really get into draft season, and we'll see what happens. I mean, we could see four quarterbacks going in the top four. We could see um, there's a lot of offensive tackles out there. There's a lot of edge rushers. That's good for the Colts because they need both of those. Yeah, I agree. So, hey, so something to look forward to. Uh, we got lots of draft coverage coming as Zach outlined earlier, so stay tuned for that. Uh, I know a lot of you subscribed uh, in the last few weeks. They had a great special going, so thanks for those of you who joined, um, and we hope to make it worth your while. So thanks for joining. Thanks for listening to the podcast and subscribing to that. And uh, we'll be back. We'll, uh, we'll keep this going. Lots of draft coverage upcoming on 1% Better and in The Athletic. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Keeper. <laughs>